Good evening, everybody. Hi, welcome to the Pinnacle Mindset Show. It's an all-ladies show tonight. So you've got myself as the main presenter, Hess. We've got our lovely guest host um, at below, Sophie. And our amazing guest for tonight is Jill Burns, MBE. Hi, Jill. Good evening. Thank you very much for joining us tonight. It, it's a pleasure. It's, it's really nice uh, to have a chat with you. Absolute pleasure having you on the show. So Jill, um, obviously you're an absolute superstar in my eyes. This is all about ladies rugby tonight that we're going to be talking about on the show. Um, I've done a little bit of research on you because I'd like to know who my guests are and, and, and who we're talking to. Um, so you've got an extensive history of rugby, obviously an ex-England uh, Rose. Tell us all about it. How did you get into rugby? How did you get to play for England? Well, I suppose I was uh, privileged to be a, a, a talented sportswoman. I was uh, very keen as a child, played loads of county sports, went to university and to do a teacher training, PE teacher training. And I was a young teacher uh, with this great idea that I wanted to give boys and girls equal opportunities. Because I'd gone to a school where I'd watched the boys play cricket and football and things like that and, and wished I'd had a chance to play. And in the sixth form, I played some basketball with the boys and was told that if we wanted to play with the boys we could so me and my sporty friend joined in with the lads and suddenly this idea that sports were for boys and sports were for girls disappeared in my head so I'd gone to college carried on playing hockey basketball netball uh, you name it that college swimming athletics I was a dancer as well as a, as a young woman um, and then um, started teach, teaching taught the girls footballs cricket and I played hockey at a tournament and knocked somebody over unintentionally. She did obstruct me and they were the days when you couldn't turn your back on a player and she turned her back and I was quite quick and big, hit her, she fell to the floor, scored a goal. I picked her up and she said, the way you play hockey, you should be a rugby player. So I said, you obstructed me. I didn't do it on purpose. She said, no, no, I'm not being funny. She said, I play rugby, you should too. So we carried on playing hockey and it was going around in my head as I was playing this game. And then later on, I found the girl that I'd knocked over. Huh? Said, do women play rugby? And she said, yes, we do. She said, I, I play at Liverpool Polytechnic, um, but we train and play at Waterloo Rugby Club. And my old male PE teacher, who'd been a great laugh and told me loads of stories about Waterloo Rugby Club, used to mm. play there. And I thought, this is not only a sporting opportunity, but it's a social opportunity and it 23 years of age, that's what I was looking for, you know, a mixture of sport and social. Mm -hmm. And I went down to Waterloo and never looked back, played with the poly for a, a year and a half. And then um, we set up Waterloo Women's Team, which has gone on to great success, very great success when we were in the Premiership first time round and National Cup finalists. Um, and then we dipped, dipped a bit and came back up again and on the way down again. But um, Waterloo, or forward Waterloo as it is now, is, is my club and I loved every minute of it. Fantastic. And you're vice chair there, aren't you? So you've got a, a major yeah. role to play in, in, in your local uh, rugby, rugby club. So um, are you getting involved with, with all the, the, the latest and greatest interesting things around COVID and coming back to rugby? I mean, how, how is that going for your club at the moment, say, compared to other grassroots rugby clubs as well? Well, I have, I have to admit that currently I'm Lancashire president. So that's why I became vice chair of the women's section, because I couldn't do it. I, I, was, temp I was chair interim chair for a while I was chair for 10 years donkeys years ago yeah. and then the chair we had moved aside so I took over for a few months but when I became Lancashire president 
I couldn't do both jobs because they're both pretty much full time. So uh, we've got a wonderful chair now, Christine, who's doing all the hard work. Uh, she's working with, with our coach and they are, they've started back training and we're getting the numbers up. Lots of, lots of the young girls that were in the old um, sort of uh, development side are, are coming through and looking forward to playing some championship rugby at Waterloo. Um, I say, and of course, I've got the Northwest place in the Premiership now. They have. Well, hats off to them and good luck to the girls for, you know, the future of, of, of the next up and coming season. I mean, I play rugby. It's, it's a tough time. Believe me, we were back at touch two weeks ago and playing touch is like one step closer to actual contacts. Um, and, you know, we're, we're all missing it dearly, but we're, we're all having to adhere to the COVID rules. You know, that's how it is at the moment. But we're lucky that we're out in our teams we're still bonding. We're still, you know, the coaches are still there motivating us. And, you know, you probably know this, Sophie, with your sport as well. It's all about getting stuck in, having guidance, being motivated and being part of a team, really, isn't it? Yeah. Definitely. So going back onto your rugby career from, from many years ago, Jill, tell us all about, you know, how you got playing for England and your amazing, what, what is it, 73 caps. That is absolutely astonishing. And obviously, let's not forget you were captain as well. So fill, fill, fill us in on, on, on all of that. Yeah, I, I was lucky. I was uh, a sprinting, shot-putting athlete. So when I talked to rugby, um, if I was powerful. I, I was a big girl and powerful. And they don't get many sort of 13 stone, 12 second, 100 metre runners. So I knocked into people and, and made space. So I basically started rugby as a beginner. Um, because I was an athlete, I took to it quite quickly. And I was elevated through the ranks very quickly. I'd only played one game when I got picked for the North. Wow. Um, went to North trials and the coach said, how, how many number eights have we got? So I'd only played one game at number eight. So I put my hand up. He said, how many of you, there's about 12 of us, how many of you could double up the second row? So of course everybody else said they could double up the second row and I didn't really know what that meant. So he said, what about you? And I said, well, I've only ever played number eight. And I think he thought I meant I'd played for a few seasons because I, I then got picked for the probables at eight and... I played for the North, um, having played one game before the trials and another game, and then played for the North Division in the Divisional Championships. And I was spotted at that and then drafted into the England squad um, for the next summer. So I'd only been playing like half a season and was involved um, for that next year then. So, yeah, it was, very, it, was, it was a quick, swift rise to the top. But that's the way it was in those days. All the girls that played then, I'd say everybody was elite in their mother sport. Um, but found rugby and we sort of you know learned the game together and very quickly um, it became a, a, quite a spectacle despite people saying you know it's come on so much I watched a bit of footage from the 91 World Cup last week and right. you know what it's not as bad as people make out it was it's just that the, 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 the laws of the game were different in those days and uh, it was very entertaining so yeah I was lucky I, I, I played I had a long career and they were the days when if you were good and you got picked, you stayed in the team. You know, there was no subs. So some poor girls who were second choice would travel with the team 45 times and not get on the, on, on the ground. You know, yeah. so, so I played most games. Um, in those early years, we'd get one or two fixtures a year. And then it was only probably, I think, I think the first game I missed was about 2000, something like that. So I played a long time without actually missing, maybe a bit before that, but. I played every game for England up to uh, quite late on in my, my England career. Amazing. So when you were in the squad, who did you aspire to at that time? Was it your coaches? Was it a team, a team member? Or who really kind of motivated you and got you going? 
Well, I suppose we had a, an inspirational captain who, who motivated us. Um, we were, I was inspired by the players I watched. We, the, the players who I learned how to play rugby off. I mean, yes, we were coached and the coaches were invaluable in building up my, my rugby career. But I used to watch my own men, the men's team at Waterloo, which was then top of what was the premiership. So they had an enormous strong pack that dominated. And I think I learned more tricks off that Waterloo pack than anywhere else, really. Um, and, you know, thoroughly enjoyed using that knowledge um, when I played for England. But yeah, we looked across to the England men for, for sort of role models. Um, and that was, that was all that was available to us at that time. There were no women around to look to because we were the first few. So yeah, no. blokes. And um, sort of talking about that really, obviously women's rugby has come on leaps and bounds, more so reading and reading all the social media, the stats from when the England ladies won the World Cup a couple of years ago. I was fortunate to greet them at the airport to wish them farewell when they went off to Ireland. That was a bit of a starstruck moment for me, but amazing. Um, so just looking at, you know, women's rugby, how do you think, you know, it, it's going really? I mean, for me, I know I think it's working well because we've got new recruits all the time at my club, two more coming tomorrow night, apparently. Um, what's your, your take on the, on the growth of, of women's rugby? It's phenomenal. Um, and the standard is going up because we've got a bigger player pool and we're getting a bigger player pool because of social media, because of people actually taking it seriously and rightfully women being put out there for young children to, to watch, you know, and I still, I still quote a story about Debs Griffin, who was one of the girls who uh, was on the committee that did the first World Cup and then she was uh, working on the RFU Council. She's now on World Rugby Council. She's done so much behind the scenes for, for, for women's rugby and now world rugby. But her daughter was going down to Richmond to watch her mum play as a little girl and, and was there week in, week out and training and stuff. And I remember her telling me that her daughter said to her one day, she was shocked because she looked out of the window of a train, I think, and saw men playing rugby. And she said, mummy, mummy, there's men playing rugby. But that little girl thought rugby was a women's game because that's all she'd been exposed to. Yeah. So that tells me a little bit about, you know, exposing children to women playing sport and that's what they'll aspire to be. That little girl's probably now in her late 20s, but um, it's a nice story. But, you know, it, it's all about letting kids see and letting kids aspire to, to be the best they can in an area that they love. And rugby's just fantastic. So I always recommend that people give it a try. Corny, but... Totally agree with you. And that of any sport, you know, girls can do any sport now. You know, look, look, look at motorsport, look at some of the you know, the, the maybe macho male sports, women are just as good at doing that as well. So I think if you've got a drive and a motivation and a determination for anything, you don't have to start off young. I mean, I started when I was in my early 30s playing rugby and I got thrown into it by actually going to watch a men's game. I was over in Reading, actually, when I lived there. And I thought, what am I doing? I'm watching a men's game. I don't know, I don't know anything about rugby. And then it was literally weeks later, uh, one of my, if my friends was like, do you fancy uh, starting up a ladies team? And I was like, are you sure? I really don't know what I'm doing. And then, you know, then the confidence builds, you then, all skills, everything just clicks into place. Um, and then obviously I've been with Windsor for 10 years. So I'm one of the longest players for them now. Um, wanted to retire, but so don't. I think like with any sport, you keep going until yeah. you physically keep going believe me there's been days when I've been on that pitch and I'm like what am I doing <laughs> and the same with you as well so sort of talking about games Jill can you remember any games where you've had like 
either really the best game that you've ever played or the worst game that you've ever played. So because it's all about, you know, Pinnacle Minds mindset is all about mental health as well. So have you ever ha had any sort of mental health worries or issues during your rugby career? Um, I think a few off, obviously not related to rugby. Rugby was always my passion. Rugby was my thing. And I knew I was good at it. I knew I was a good rugby player. So even when things weren't going well off the pitch, um, mm. I used rugby, you know, to, to make things better. There's nothing better than going to a training session and hitting it in those days, hitting into a few tackle pads and getting muddy and just really, really going for it in the gym and training hard. And that is, I think that's the best thing for mental health. I mean, originally, I suppose the first time I started to have any doubts about my uh, position in rugby was um, when I was England captain. I, I was thoroughly enjoying being England captain and hoped to um, retire at the end of the last season that I, that I was captain. And mm. I wanted us to win the Grand Slam, which we did do, but uh, I wanted, us, wanted to lift that trophy and I wanted us to go to the European Championships and, and win that. That was the aim. Yes. And then, unfortunately... Um, a second to last game in the uh, the Grand Slam. So we, we'd just beaten France, who were the strongest team to, to beat. And we knew that we'd, we knew, pretty much knew we'd beat Wales in the last game. And I found out after the game that um, they decided they were going to sack the coaches that night. God. And I'd been told that there were some players who, who was, it was player, sort of player power that had got to the powers that be and said that they wanted to change the coaches. And I was the captain and knew nothing about this. So I resigned that night. I wrote a letter of resignation, mainly because I felt that the players weren't with me. And I, I always thought they were. And that was the first time I had some doubts personally. But I, I, just, I thought, you know what? I could be bitter and, and get really upset about this or I'll channel it. So I channeled it, relinquished the captaincy and put all my energy into being the best player I could be. And I actually think I actually had my, probably the best parts of my career playing-wise towards the end. And... The last game that stands out most of all in my memory was my second, my, my last full match, the World Cup uh, semi-final in 2002. I was at the top of my game. I'd smashed everybody in the fitness test. I was 37, should have been past my best. I'd beaten youngsters in everything because I just wanted to prove and I'd focused so much. And then um, I, I, I was in all the papers and it was, she plays like a spring chicken and I knew I was at the top of my game. Um, and that was that was the highlight for me, you know, when respected rugby journalists are saying that I was at the top of my game. And then I think I think something after that World Cup, because we lost the World Cup final um, just mm. team tactics weren't right. Team wasn't right. Um, just didn't go well. Mm. And then during that summer, I was rung by the, the Black Ferns uh, coach who coached the Black Ferns to all the, rugby, the World Cup wins, who well. said, we want a World 15 and we want you to come over and play in it. And I said, well, I've retired from England. I'm not as, I'm not as fit as I was. I've had a summer off. I've you know, had a few beers and not been training. And he said, you'll be, you'll be fine. He said, come over and play in this World 15. Wow. So I went over and we had, uh, we had a fortnight out there. Um, but it was a huge honour when he, as the world's greatest women's rugby coach, asked me to captain that team. So wow. I was 37 going on 38. And that was my last sort of senior role. So that gave me that boost that perhaps um, I, I'd been okay and I was, I was in a good place then because I was respected um, sort of across the world. So yeah, a, a bit of, bit of d disappointment about players not being with me, but channeled it into, into my own game. Remembered all the time what my dad had said. I, I split up with a long-term boyfriend not long before. And 
I'd been quite upset about it, not at the time, but a few weeks later. And I came and chatted to my mum and dad. And my dad said to me, he said, all I'll say is don't be bitter because it'll eat you up. He said, just make something positive out of it. And I always, always use that analogy all the time. Um, so whenever I feel a little bit cut up about something or upset or feel hurt when somebody says something that's out of place or I read something that annoys me, I remember dad's words and try not to be bitter and try and make it positive. I mean, I suppose in, during my rugby career, I've, um, I could have complained a lot about things that, that haven't happened. I could have been a whinger. I could have said, you know, I suppose I'm the equivalent of Lawrence Delalio, but rugby's cost me everything. And, you know, I've got, I've got next to no money and, and, you know, things like that. You could be negative and, and that, that would make you bitter and eat you up. So what I've said is, you know, I might be cash poor, but I'm, experienced. I'm an experienced millionaire. I've had the best time in rugby and rugby has given me the, the you know, the positivity. Mm. And, and just to share that positivity in all parts of my life. I was a teacher for 32 years and just wanted to give the kids the confidence uh, to be the best person they could be and to enjoy PE in school. Um, I was an old fashioned PE teacher who taught all sports and wanted kids to have opportunities. And I was getting a bit down about work before I, I finished uh, because it, it, education system had become an exam factory basically. Mm. There's nothing that, you know, I love my colleagues, I love all the, the head teachers I work for, I know they were doing everything for the right reasons. However, the right reasons have become the wrong reasons for me in my heart. So. Um, I felt we weren't educating children anymore. We were delivering and teaching. I wasn't in love with teaching anymore for the last year or so. So no. I finished as a teacher a couple of years ago for, for a sad reason, to look after my dad who had dementia. Oh, right. So um, spent time with him, went part-time, spent time with him. Well, we had a lovely time. And that same thing, don't be bitter, just you know, be positive. And, and it was a very, very sort of conscious way to deal with a horrible time. And we had fun. And that's always the main thing. Make people smile, share the love. And, um, you know, you cope with things a lot better. I like your motto there, Jill. It's very, you know, it's, it's, it's quite heartwarming, actually. Quite emotional because, um, you know, everybody's going through a lot of stuff, whether it's previous stuff before COVID or more so with COVID now and having to deal with it all. Um, and just knowing that, you know, you can be motivated in a, in a strange way. You, you know, I, everybody gets it. I get low days. Sophie, you may have low days where you just think, oh, I don't want to do today. It's like Groundhog Day. We, I did it last week. But then something just twigs in you. And no matter how old you are, you've always got a little saying. I have sayings in the back of my head where it's like, come on, you can do this. I've got in my little flat, I've got posters all over my little flat and post-it notes on my office desk here um, on motivation. I listen to po podcasts and meditation things because it's just helping me get that extra bit, you know, a bit further. And I like your, uh, your enthusiasm. I guess, you know, talking about your, your father, you're a board of trustee, aren't you, for the Hargreaves Dementia Trust? Yeah, and I've loved staying involved with them. Um, yeah. even though, you know, before dad died, I wondered whether I'd want to keep going. Yeah. However, you know, it, it's just as valuable now. Um, I'm still a trustee and I still love working with not just the people with dementia, but the people yeah. who are suffering with the partners and the parents. And, you know, it's, um, it's a fantastic group. And one of the things I've done during lockdown, which is to help the people in the dementia groups, is because I used to be a dancer, my mum was a dance teacher. Wow. Um, we, we loved going to the singing every Friday. And of course, it's called Musical Memories. And you see people with dementia brighten up when they hear a song they know and, and they can sing words of a song and yet they can't have a conversation. So mum and I were saying how sad it is that 
we can't get together and sing. So mum said, why don't we do a couple of songs on the, on the computer and then those that are on Facebook can see it. So it started off with just a, oh, when the saints with a ukulele. And then the next week it was uh, my old man's a dustman on the piano. And then the next week we said, we'll do a dance. Um, and my 83 year old mum found all the old costumes in her wardrobe and we let the waistbands out a bit and made the a bit looser. And we've done, I think it must be about 22, 23 weeks of a different dance every Friday, which we put on social media. I mean, neither of us can dance anymore. My mum's got a new knee. She's very graceful because she was a dancer. Um, I like to say, at least I didn't play rugby like a dancer, but sadly I, I dance like a rugby player. But, um, but, but the thing is, it makes people smile and that's why we do it. I don't mind taking the mickey out of myself and um, having a bit of a laugh. And a lot of people, even people from rugby, people from who I used to work with, all my friends have been so supportive. They know why we do it. We do it to, to make people smile and, and to make the people with dementia engage. Mm. And the people who've lost loved ones due to dementia absolutely love it. And, and uh, it's, it's rewarding when people say thank you and, and try and keep going. So yeah. It's being small on people's faces, you know, no matter whether it's the person that's suffering or their family or friends, it's just making their day extra special, isn't it? Just seeing somebody familiar to you and doing something that is very, very kind. So hats off to you for doing that. I think that's such a nice thing to do. We are running out of ideas. <laughs> <laughs> Although, <laughs> I'll share something with you. This, this morning, it was uh, Storm, is it Storm Francis going through? It's Wales. And I said to mum this morning, I said, should we go out and do singing in the rain? So we put every bright piece of clothing we could find on. Uh, we, we got out there and we went to the park and we jumped in the puddles and Aww. slid down the side into the water. So it's making mum laugh as well. Um, and we had, a, we had a good day in the rain. It's just, yeah. Something to, something to make people smile. Brilliant. Gives you a smile as well. It's a rewarding thing, isn't it? That's why, you know, I like to do a little bit for charity as well. Do you do anything for charity, Sophie? Have you got any sort of thing with... with your... Yeah, so just largely my whole company is kind of charity-based. I don't earn anything from it. Um, so just the whole mental health and sport thing. So um, I don't want to talk too much because it's spoiling for the next episode, but... Um... <laughs> Link there to watch the next episode. <laughs> Yeah, so I, I kind of, my whole company is basically charity based. Um, mm. And then also, I kind of like to donate to food banks where I can and stuff like that. Right. Um, I think it's so important to just give back where you can. Yeah. And I also think being a sports person, having recognised the value of being in a team and loved it and know what it does for people, working with a charity is the same sort of feeling you're part of that charity team you you know you're going through the same things as other people and it gives you gives everybody uh that warm feeling of, of actually doing something positive so yeah very much so working for others is, is a really lovely thing to do i think that's the kind of person you are when you do sport anyway especially a yeah. team sport you've got that kind of kind nature do you know what i mean because it's not an i sport it's a we sport you know and this is what we say in every game that we play whether we win or lose we're all in it together believe me you've you've probably had it as well jill i've had all emotions from winning games to winning medals i've got many many a medal that i've won you know um and also you know taking it on the chin and just being positive about it going do you know what we've got we've had some game time we've played we've done as much as we physically could the weather conditions could be against us we could have a you know a squad with a load of injuries 
people might have had their head in a, another cloud you know and we just have to progress with it and be positive so good right ladies we're nearly towards the end of the show but obviously kind of one last thing that i wanted to go and touch on about today because i think it's quite relevant with um social media at the moment and uh, jill you've probably been aware of this probably from looking at facebook and and what have you today is all the comments that are going around on ladies rugby and basically the the, the stigma that um the ladies the lady ladies irish rugby team and the photos that they've had in their kit and obviously people have been saying that they're not feminine and they're not pretty and that's basically having a horrible stereotype on ladies rugby now you know we thought we'd get this this was parked under the bridge many many years ago but it proves that there are still quite a lot of people that disregard the fact that ladies can play rugby um and obviously it's such a powerful sport that you know jill you're an advocate for you know being one of the earliest players in you know in playing for England playing ladies rugby so you know what's been going on through the years up to date and it just makes me very upset and very angry that there are still a lot of people out there and I get it all the time when people look at me and they go but you're five foot eight and you're, you're really skinny and yes I can play rugby you know it's like what do you expect me to look like and why why do I not look like a man and yeah what, what's your take on it Jill? It's always been the same. And um, all I can say is that it's a very, very long, slow process, but we're going in the right direction. You could get yourself, you could, I could have beat myself up inside. I've been abused. I've been abused by people when I've been on the pitch because um, I've been good, because I've run fast and I've knocked people out of the way and I've had people crowds, even in a European Sevens tournament and a, a, a young man who was from, with Loughborough who went on to become a senior coach, he verbally abused me throughout the tournament. Um, so the way I channeled that was to just make sure that we won the trophy and go over and show him at the end. Yeah. Um, and it was jealousy, put it down to jealousy, you channel it into, into your training, but you educate a lot of people because at that same tournament, uh, we were socialising with the men's Fiji team and they were saying, it's absolutely fantastic what you're doing, you're wonderful, I wish we had players like you in our team. And we got friendly with the Fijian internationals and the Fijian coach decided he wanted to call all the wingers Molly because our winger Molly scored loads of tries in every game. And uh, it was just lovely that these proper rugby people were recognising that women could play. Um, but I've, I've had abuse, you know, or, I'm big, I'm big. And people, you know, people have said things to me like, what are you? Yes. I'm a female rugby player and I enjoy playing rugby and you need to educate yourself. And I think as opposed to getting upset about it, what you've got to do is just show people. Don't kick up a fuss. Don't upset other people with your your big campaign to, to, to be aggressive about things. Yeah. Knock on the door, let people see what you've got to offer with regard to the women's game. Yeah. And slowly but surely it will improve. I mean, the positive thing about this, which we should look at, is that Ireland are selling Irish women's rugby kit. So there's a step forward which is positive. Yeah. And that's what we go on. We say, thank you very much, Ireland. However, yeah. our youngsters, the boys and the girls who play, need to see athletic women wearing sports kit it's not just about the the pretty girls in the crowd it's about the the pretty women of all shapes and sizes who want to play the game and want young girls to, to play the game you know when, when they get older so let's just get up into the you know the 21st century um let's keep make, moving those steps forward and you know what this this campaign that everyone's going to put out there with photos of us in rugby kit and in in in, in, in your best kit this mm. this was i've been there before early 90s I think about 1991 um, there was a photograph of an England game and it was me with a very muddy face and a line out um, it was a 
a photo shoot that, that they did at a match and they used some of the photographs in that shoot for the 91 World Cup programme. So it must have been about 1989, 90. Yeah. Uh, and they put a photograph of me in Rugby News, which was a magazine like Rugby World is now. Mm-hmm. Um, with um, They had the name Carol Isherwood, who was playing then. Carol Isherwood un- under my face. It was a mistaken identity. But nevertheless, there was a photograph in. The next week, there was a, a letter sent by a gentleman who very politely said... Um, he liked, you know, he read the information about the women's game, but could we warn Miss Isherwood, i.e. made the picture of me, that if she carries on playing rugby, um, she'll end up looking like Roger Utley. And it's not a, not, not a game for women and all this. So wow. I then wrote a letter back and sent a photograph of my team, my Waterloo team, seven of us dressed up in our ball gowns at the ball, looking beautiful, next to our pictures in our muddy kit. And I said, look... You don't, you know, we're rugby players. We wear rugby kit and we're covered in mud and, and we look like athletes when we play rugby. However, we can be decorous off the field if we choose to be. And please, you know, please give us a chance. And I'm sure, I said, I'm sure Mr. Rutley's loved ones would be a little bit upset about what you said. Um, but it was just, it was just the, the views of people then. I mean, one of our biggest fans at Waterloo um, is a guy called Dave Ward. He's a, we called him one of the old Alicadoos. And he used to say, it was a really good game, but I can't understand why you girls want to play. And then he'd say, uh, think of that back row move to the right. I think if he did the mispass, and he'd like to start critically analysing the game. He'd watch every match. And for a year or two, he kept saying, I don't think you should play. Women shouldn't play. Now, he calls it his claim to fame. He's lovely. He's, he's supported women's rugby all the way through. Nice. And the way he learned to support it was by coming to watch. He gave us a chance. Mm-hmm. And he still supports. He's in his eighties now, and mm-hmm. he says, "He says my claim to fame is I tried to stop you playing." Mm-hmm. So he tells every he dines out on that. But, uh, but I wasn't rude to him. I wasn't rude to him. I listened to him and said, "Come next week, Wardy." You know, it's come, week, come same time next week. Exactly, and that's the thing with with our team because obviously we didn't have a ladies team before our team started. You know, nine ten years ago, and then you get the old oops, you get the old boys, and they're watching men's games on a Saturday as as usual then there could be a ladies game maybe afterwards or typically on a Sunday when we play and they'll come down oh they they don't want to come down but they'll come down and they'll go you you girls can tackle better than the lads (laughs) you girls are feisty oh my god look how quick you can run your rucks amazing your tackles are you know so you know it's give it a go give it a go this is all I can say is that unless you actually go and watch a ladies game on telly or social media or face to face you don't know what you're talking about that's right and I think in the early days we had the problem in that a lot of the girls who were playing they were all beginners so even if you were a good athlete you were a beginner so some people were critical because we were tactically naive or couldn't kick the ball as far but that just comes with practice and because women have been playing now 30 plus 35 years you know what we've got women who've grown up as little girls and are now adults and I'll never say better than the men. We'll never be better than men. We'll be as good in that, maybe not as big, maybe not as fast, maybe not as strong, but technically, tactically, and as a spectacle, equally as good. And I think the added bonus of women's rugby is that because women are generally smaller, there is more space on a pitch. Space means entertainment. There is space for women to, 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 to create entertainment in. And that's something that as the men are getting bigger and bigger and bigger and filling the pitch, uh, the men's games will perhaps not have that opportunity that the women's games got. So yeah, yeah. we're going to places. Well, um, if you had a young girl come to you and said, 
I've never even held a rugby ball. What would your advice be to somebody who's never even tried rugby, never thought it was a girl's game kind of thing? You just go, here, come with me. (laughs) You know, I taught it at school and you just hope that, you know, PE teachers give girls opportunities to hold that rugby ball so they've had that experience. But, you know, like Hez, Hez didn't play till she was relatively older, you know, at 30. Um, and, and it's given a lot to Hez. I only started at 23. It gave me, you know, a lifetime of fun. So whatever age anybody wants to start, give them a rugby ball and just let them run with it. At my record is uh, Waterloo. We had a girl who was 48 who started at 48. Take my cap off to her. She was a martial arts person, so she was fit as a fiddle. Mm-hmm. Um, and she played two or three seasons and thoroughly enjoyed it because it was so different to her individual sport that she played before. Um, but you're never too young, you're never too old. Um, if, you, if you're fit enough to get out on that park, just give it a go. And if you don't like it, fair enough. Yeah. But more people like it than don't. I, I totally agree. And you can be all different shapes and sizes, all different ages. Doesn't matter what sport background. I I came from uh, an athletics background. I was very very good at running, very good at athletics. Then I transitioned over into playing hockey, and then I went into rugby. So I've always had the the, the sports buzz in me. Just didn't realise at my age that I'd still be playing rugby. And do you know what? It's the best thing it's ever done to me. So I think you've got to give give it a go. Go to these um, inner warrior sessions that you know when things get better go to training you know every week since we've started uh, back at training this is for the last month now under you know covid restrictions we've had two or three new girls joining us we've got another two tomorrow and it's more than we've had for quite a few seasons now so something has clicked during covid that whether it's the positivity of the promotion of, of rugby or covid or something now is the time to get stuck in i think do you agree do you agree jill yeah, I think so. And I've, you know, I've heard a lot of clubs have had sort of Zoom fitness sessions and things like that. So that's been a way where somebody brings their friend who perhaps hasn't played rugby, who's got to know the other girls and realise what a great social it is. Yeah. And then perhaps that daunting first step of going to the rugby club when it happens won't be so bad because you recognise the faces of the people that you've been doing sit-ups and push-ups and squat jumps with, you know, over the summer. So, yeah, make something positive out of it. And um I do think that there will be a few more women, you know, having a go and trying. Um, And perhaps these sort of condition games that we're coming back in are a good way to get people transitioned into rugby. And those those that love it will go on to play full contact. Agree, agree. You've got to start somewhere. Always, my motto is start at the deep ends. Just go for it. Pick that ball up and you'll, you'll never look back. So amazing. Lovely. Any more from you, Soph? No, that's it. No worries. Well, it's been an absolute pleasure tonight to to finally get to talk to you, Jill, after all this time. So, no, we've really enjoyed having you on the show tonight. And it's just been absolutely amazing talking about your amazing history. And, you know, it's just a pleasure to actually have a legend, as I call you, on on, on the show. Um, And we really hope to the viewers that you've really enjoyed the show. And if you've got any questions, then simply um, message us at the Pinnacle Mindset Show. So um, we'll be uh, showing this on Spotify facebook um and youtube and uh, we'll we'll look forward to seeing everybody for the next show next week so once again thank you very much jill for coming tonight and thank you very much sophie thank, 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 you. thank, thank you thanks, thanks a lot bye Cheers.